Now, you guys all know the Great Prayer uh, has been synonymous with Christianity for, for two millenniums now. As a matter of fact, the earliest manuscripts of Scripture uh, contained the Lord's Prayer. And it's known for its brevity, and it's known for its conciseness. But yet within the, within the Lord's Prayer, I find seven principles that, um, that should be incorporated into all prayer. And today we're going to look at, at three of them in particular. Uh, it should be noted, too, that with regard to the Lord's Prayer, that this is a model prayer. This is something that the Lord said, pray in this manner. It is not a liturgy unto itself. You know, how many unsaved people will cite or even pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, thinking that there is something beneficial to them in it? But as what happens with things that we become very familiar with, at times we could become so familiar with it that we are not awed or inspired. Uh, there is a tendency within us to think we know more than we really do. And I love taking familiar texts and try to dig out, try to mine out of them some of the good things. As you know, this prayer takes place on, on the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, 7, uh, Matthew 5 through 7. And the key to interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount can be found in Matthew 5.20 where Jesus said, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the whole sermon of the Mount could be summed up in one word, righteousness, God's righteousness, kingdom righteousness. And as we enter into chapter six, we see in the beginning in Matthew six, one through four, that Jesus addresses uh, about giving alms and within God's righteousness, about how to give it, be, let it be done, uh, not so that it draws attention to himself. He then moves in verses five through eight, and he, he addresses the whole issue of prayer, about praying rightly, praying not to be seen by men, not to be heard by men, but to be heard by God. And as we'll look at today in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, Jesus addresses kingdom prayer. And I like to think that when we come together every day at 12 o'clock and Saturdays at 10 o'clock, that I like to think that all of us come together and we storm the gates of heaven with prayer. And we're storming on behalf of the Lord's kingdom and seeking righteousness to prevail upon us and to prevail upon the earth. So in really rapid fashion, I just want to uh, review with you three principles, three principles that should be found every time we go to the Lord in prayer. And let's begin. We begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where the Lord says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the first principle that comes glaring out is all prayer should begin with God. Now, that may appear to be so obvious to you. Well, tell me something I don't know, you might be saying. But it isn't merely that it begins with God. It is our address to God. The blessed words, our Father who art in heaven, says 
everything where to begin. And we always come and address our prayers to the infinite God. As a matter of fact, the Greek word there for father, pater, um, the literal definition is, is literally a father. It's just a father. But Jesus goes ahead and distinguishes it beyond just merely a human father. He says, our father which art in heaven. He has just now narrowed it down to one living being, the sovereign, righteous, divine creator of all. Jesus is pointing us to God the Father. Now, that's an ominous thing for us to be able to lay hold of, right? Because he is the creator of all life. He's the creator of all physical life, and he is the creator of all spiritual life. And so Jesus is being very intentional here with the use of that term, our Father which art in heaven. He is defining very clearly for us that it is Yahweh, the self-existent one, the only true and living God. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, I think when we come to pray, we must, and I mean we absolutely must, come with reverence and not haste. We must come with holiness and not haughtiness. We must come with respect and not ramblings as we pause in the presence of God. Do you often think about it that when you get an opportunity to come before the Lord in prayer, that you're coming before the holy, righteous, living God who knows the secret thoughts of your mind, knows every intent. He knows why you do things, when you do things. And we get this glorious opportunity to us, given to us by Jesus Christ, to come before the Father of all and make our requests known. You know, in John 17, 1, Jesus does the same thing. He says, when Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, there it is, that word pater again. The hour has come, glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. Oh, church, that we would glorify God in our prayers, that we would not be casual because we've done it so many times, but rather that we would come with intentionality and being very specific, but beginning our prayer before God. And in his next statement, Jesus articulates the adoration that must be ascribed to God. He goes and he says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is a statement of adoration. Just as all prayer begins with God, number one, all prayer should begin with adoration of God. The Greek word there, hagios, is, is, is regard to sacred, holy, sanctified. While this prayer is brief, we get a clear picture that it is not rushed. It is not formal, and it is not trite. Remember, when we come to pray, we enter into the throne room of God, and God is worthy of our praise. And this praise does not consist merely in words, but the praise that comes from the 
adoration of our heart. We adore God. We love God. And that results in worshiping God in prayer. When we fail to honor God with our worship when we pray, I personally believe that we commit a grievous, grievous error, not rendering to God that which he is worthy of. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus 27, you know this. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The vanity spoken of here is to take the name of the Lord with emptiness. The word denotes a, a recklessness of the name of the Lord, not a holiness or a soberness or a reverence for the name of the Lord. And the name of God is linked to the person of God. Listen. When we rush into the throne room, when we rush into the throne room of God and we begin to bark out needs and requests before we even adore him, before we even praise him, before we even thank him of giving us the opportunity to do this, when we do that, it demonstrates a lack of reverence. So when we enter the throne room, let's be conscious of whom we are coming to and let us pause and revere and respect our gods. One of the foremost authorities on prayer that I've enjoyed reading is a gentleman by the name of E.M. Bounds. I know many of you know him. And Ian Bounds makes this statement. He says, God has everything to do with prayer, as well as everything to do with the one who prays. To him who prays and as he prays, and I want you to listen to the next sentence. The hour is sacred because it is God's hour. The occasion is sacred because it is the occasion of the soul's approach to God and of our dealing with God. And I think about that often. When we come before God, whether it's here at 12 o'clock, whether it's in our early morning prayers or our late evening prayers, let us always come with a sense of expectation and a sense of holiness that we are meeting with the living, eternal, pre-existing God, what a glorious privilege. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 145, verses 2 to 3, every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So all prayer begins with God. All prayer begins with adoration. And then the third point here is all prayer should pray for God's will to be done. And we see this in verse 10 as our Lord says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. 
And I love here, you know, when you look at the prayer, the Lord's prayer, there's six petitions that the Lord makes. Three of them are to God and three of them are for human needs. These are one of them. Here's one of the petitions for God, the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. My heart is overjoyed at the fact that when we come together, since I've been on these prayer calls, we pray for the kingdom of God to advance on earth. Rick constantly says, you know, uh, uh, advancing the kingdom, advancing the kingdom. And so we should ask ourselves when we come to pray, then what is indeed the will of God for the church and for individual Christians? And it really boils down to something quite simple. It is the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of souls for the glory of God. In Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he first mentions a buried treasure that a man found in a field. And when he pulled up the treasure, he found it, he reburied it, and then he went back and sold everything he had to buy that field. Here was someone who stumbled upon the gospel. And when he saw the glory of the gospel, he gave everything else. He said, nothing can compare any God. He goes on to say the kingdom of God is like a, a merchant who who's looking for a particular pearl, and he finds a pearl of great value. And, and when he has found it, he goes back and sells his entire collection to purchase that pearl. What a glory it is, the gospel. And what is the will of God for the church? That the church would be the power of God on earth. And it does so through the believers that are indwelt with the spirit of God. The church is the heralder of the gospel. Individual Christians are sowers of the seed of the gospel. We bring the evangel. We bring the good news to everyone. Why? So that the whole earth would be filled with the glory of the Lord. And equally important and should accompany every prayer is that God's will would be done. What does that mean? Simply that we willingly submit to God's purposes, plans, and glory in our lives and in the life of his church. Our desires, our will, must be subordinate to God's will. When we pray, thy will be done, we are calling on the pure, complete, perfect will of God to go forth from heaven and unleash on the earth toward us. Jesus repeated this term, thy will be done. Think about it. He repeated that in the garden when he was sweating great droplets of blood. He yielded himself completely and perfectly to the will of God so that God's redemptive plan would be fulfilled. Today, Christians at many times are, are being told to demand of God to name it and claim it, to blab it and grab it. Many times a picture of paint is painted of a God who is subordinate to man. We must always be conscious that our will is to do the will of him who sent us. 
that God is to be glorified in our hearts and life. Again, Ian Bounds says this, by prayer, God's name is hallowed. By prayer is his kingdom established in power and made to move with conquering force swifter than light. By prayer, God's will is done till earth rivals heaven in harmony and beauty. By prayer, daily toil is sanctified and enriched and pardoned is secured. And I love this one. And Satan is defeated. Prayer concerns God and concerns man in every way. When times press us, when our backs are up against the wall, when we think we know what's best for us, and many times we have a tendency to tell God what's best for us, let us always remember that God's will is perfect, complete, and pure. So as we come to prayer this afternoon, let us remember these three principles that our Lord demonstrated here in our Lord's prayer. All prayer begins with God. So let us prepare ourselves accordingly to enter his throne room of grace. Number two, all prayer begins with adoration, that form of worship that comes and is generated from the heart, that we would come with reverence and respect before our God. And number three, that all prayer, we pray for God's will, for the things on earth and the things in heaven. I pray that our prayer lives will be enriched as we continue to thrust on in corporate prayer together and that it would be said of this group and said of us individually that we will be a people who know our God and are known by our God. May God bless you today.